0: series on 1 Thessalonians today and uh, it's a great little book. There's plenty in it and uh, quite a few challenges and a uh, lot to learn from it. But before I begin, let me just uh, uh, bow our heads in prayer. Gracious Lord, we do thank you for your Word. We thank you that you have given us your Holy Spirit who takes that Word and enriches our lives. Lord, we pray that we will be open to what you have want us to think about, to be challenged by, to put into practice, and we ask this through Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, a little quick quiz to start with. Anyone know who this guy is? Steve Smith, very good. Okay, what about this person? Ash Barty, we've got a winner down here. Anyone else for this one? Anyone know who this is? Donald Trump. (laughs) And his little mate, he's got a little friend. Little rocket man, yeah, that's right. (laughs) What's his other name? Kim Jong-un. Right, what about uh, this person? ScoMo, Scott Morrison. (laughs) Incredible nickname, isn't it? Right, and what about somebody from a different field altogether? Who's this? Glenn Davies. Who's Glenn Davies? Archbishop of Sydney. Yes, we all know that, don't we? <laughs> Maybe not. Pray for Glenn. He's retiring in a couple of months' time and then uh, Synod has to elect a new Archbishop. So um, pray for Glenn. Okay, all these people are famous, aren't they? They're well known and they're known for something. They all have a reputation. Now, I want to look at reputations today and People gain a reputation for all kinds of things. Sometimes it's for taking a stand, whether it's in the political or social or environmental sphere. Other people gain a reputation for being good at something, such as in sport or the arts or in science. In other cases, people gain a bad reputation for doing bad things or, yeah, just being plain bad. The thing about reputation is that a person is known for something. So I want to just look at today briefly, what is our reputation? What is our reputation personally? What do people see us as representing? And also, what does our church represent? What are we known for? So I want to uh, just encourage you to think about that today because it's important but firstly to help us look at reputations I want to take us back to look at a church in Thessalonica 2,000 years ago and its reputation we find that the people there had made quite an impression on their community in fact, their reputation had spread far and wide, well beyond the limits of their city. Now, I've put um, a map up there. It's actually a map of Paul's second missionary journey. And you'll see where the blue arrow is pointing to the city of Thessalonica in what is northern part of modern day Greece. And just as a side note, you'll notice just to the north of that is Macedonia. To the west is Greek, Greece and Greece. To the south is Archaea. We'll we'll find them mentioned through the passage. Now the church at (coughs) Thessalonica was established or began when Paul visited the city during his second missionary journey and that took place around 50 AD. We read about that visit in Acts 17, which uh, Ian read to us earlier. That's part of it. Now, as we read Acts 17, we find that, as was his practice during his travels, Paul visited firstly the Jewish synagogue that was there in the city. And he spent three weeks in the synagogue um, telling people about Jesus. It says, He reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This is all new stuff to the Jews. And so Paul took a lot of time to explain it all to them. And what we find is a number of people believed in uh, Paul's message, including, as it says, a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. But as often happened with Paul and his travels, other Jews became jealous and they felt threatened by this new message. And so they rounded up a mob to drag Paul and Silas before the city officials in the public square, where they wanted to accuse them of defying Caesar's decrees and claiming that there was another king, that is, Jesus. Thankfully, Paul and Silas couldn't be found at this point. The believers hid them away and they were able to leave the city later that night and continue on their journey. Now, about a year later, Paul wrote this letter to the church in Thessalonica. And he begins his letter... With a thanksgiving for this very young, growing, and thriving community of Christian believers. It's interesting that Paul only stayed a short time in Thessalonica, but what he left behind was a very small and very committed group of believers. When Paul wrote this letter, we find the Thessalonian church was growing rapidly despite opposition from the Jews and persecution from the pagan authorities. As we read through chapter 1, which is what we're looking at today, we get the impression that the Thessalonian church was gaining a reputation, not only in the city, but in the surrounding provinces as well. And Paul notes with great enthusiasm, the Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Archaea, but your faith in God has, been known, has become known everywhere. So I think I should have done that. Yep. Not the words used. The Lord's message rang out. It's like having a great big bell that was being rung and sounding the, the good news of the gospel, which was going out. Paul was excited to hear that this is what was happening. This was part of Paul's legacy in Thessalonica only 12 months prior. People were hearing the word preached and spoken about. And people were talking And reports filtered back to Paul about how the Thessalonian believers had turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Furthermore, as they followed Paul's example in living a godly life, they followed. They, as they did that, they in turn became models for others to follow. Verse 6 You became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Now just note that for a lot of people, for a lot of believers, this was no easy thing to do. Many experienced persecution and suffered for what they believed in. But their steadfast commitment to Jesus stood out from those around them. And they quickly gained a reputation and certainly made an impression on people. So people talked. They watched, they heard, they talked. So just backing up a bit, you can ask the question, how did this all come about? Paul says in verse 5, Our gospel came to you not simply with words but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. Note that Paul says, firstly, it is our gospel that came to you. It did not come by itself. It was brought by Paul and Silas and Timothy. And the church in Thessalonica came into being as a direct result of the preaching of the gospel. It came through the spoken word. But it also came with the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, when we tell people about Jesus... It's not us that do the converting. We're only the messengers. Conversion is the work of God through the Holy Spirit working in the hearts and minds of people who hear the good news. And that's a powerful message. And the Holy Spirit comes with power because the Holy Spirit has the power to change lives, to transform lives. So we are messengers. That's our job. We're carriers of the good news. But Paul adds that the gospel message was preached and shared with great conviction. You know, if we are to share what we believe, we've got to be convinced of what we are talking about. We must believe the truth of the gospel with absolute certainty. Because if we doubt its truthfulness, or we doubt God's ability to keep his promises, then this becomes all too apparent to our listeners so then Paul tells us that they welcomed the message in verse 6 they welcomed the message despite the Thessalonians experiencing hostility and opposition they welcomed the gospel and how do they welcome the gospel it says with joy given by the Holy Spirit this is joy this joy is, is, is a fruit of the Spirit And wherever the gospel goes, and people respond, there's joy. There's joy amongst the angels in heaven who rejoice when somebody puts their faith and trust in Jesus as Lord. And there's joy on earth among the people of God. Now this isn't just a little happy sort of joy. It's a deep-seated joy that takes root in one's heart. And this is a product or a fruit of the Holy Spirit indwelling a person. It is a deep joy that transcends anything that life will bring us. But not only that, Paul says that they became imitators of us. They began to follow the example as well as the teaching of the apostles and of Jesus. And this represented a profound change in the lives of these people. You see, receiving the gospel is not just a mere intellectual belief in the truth of the gospel. It is actually a complete transformation of behaviour through a close following of the example of Jesus and his apostles. And so that's the process, gospel progress in Thessalonica. And so a new church was born and they became a community of people bound together by a common relationship with Jesus, a shared relationship with Jesus. Jesus. And this community of believers was distinguished by three characteristics. Faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love. Paul writes, We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labour prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Faith, hope, and love. They are... Sure evidence, certain evidences of a genuine Christian conversion. Each of these characteristics has concrete practical outcomes or results. For example, a true faith in God leads to good works. And without works, faith is dead, as we find in other parts of the Bible. It's not the other way down. Works don't produce faith, it is our faith in God that cause us to do good works. It's a way of saying, thank you Lord, I acknowledge what you've done in my life, I acknowledge the power of your spirit in my life, I acknowledge the joy in my life, and I want to work for you, I want to serve you and serve others. Which moves us to the second thing, was a true love for people. That leads us to serve serve them. It's that compassionate love that pastoral care for other people where we seek to help people in need who are doing it tough to sit with people to spend time with people to love them, to care for them and we need to express our love through service, otherwise it just degenerates into a mere sentimentality and thirdly a true hope the hope that we have in our hearts is a hope that looks expectantly to Jesus' return. We wait. We don't know when Jesus will come. could be today. Are you ready? But this hope leads to endurance. And we are called to endure, sometimes in the face of persecution and opposition, of hardship, sickness. Life brings all sorts of these things before us but we have that hope which is a constant before us. This is where, what we aspire to. This is what we long for. This is where we'll end up in heaven for eternity with Jesus. That is our hope. I might note that these characteristics, faith, hope and love, are actually embodied in our church's mission to live new life for Christ by being faithful, adventurous, compassionate and enduring disciples, or to use Stuart's word, apprentices of Jesus. Faithful. We have an adventurous faith. When you become a Christian, it is an adventure, because our lives change and change, and they can change dramatically and incredibly, and God will take us places we may never have dreamed about. Compassionate, our compassionate value, leads to a care and a love for other people, a concern for them and endure. We want it to last to the end. We want it to persevere and endure to the end. Face, F A C E. Remember it. It's a good thing. Should I put that up. And then Paul says in verse 7 And so you became a model to all the believers of Macedonia and Achaia. The imitators, in their turn, were imitated. They in turn became models of Christian behaviour to other people. Their behaviour became infectious and contagious as other people received the gospel from them. And it seems this community of Christian believers in Thessalonica were having quite an impact. Not only were they excitedly telling people about Jesus, but their transformed lives had also become a talking point throughout the surrounding regions. And Paul tells us in verses 8 to 10, actually what had happened in their lives, and just taking a step back, he says they turned from worshipping inanimate false idols to serving the living, true God and to wait for his son from heaven. Now, the idols of Paul's day had a powerful and pervasive influence over people. And it was difficult and at times risky to break free. But even today, the more sophisticated idols of modern secular society are equally powerful. We might call them God substitutes. For example, some people are consumed with selfish ambition for money or power or fame. Others are obsessed with their work or with sport or television or they may be infatuated with another person or addicted to food or alcohol or drugs. Paul says later on that both immorality and greed are forms of idolatry because bottom line is they demand an allegiance which is due to God alone. But the effect of the gospel, the influence of the gospel, the power of the gospel is to liberate people from these bondages and addictions. People's lives change and the effect is very obvious to all who know them. So back to our question. How will our church be known? How will you be known? What is your reputation? Will the members of this church reflect our vision to see new life come to every home in Oran Park and the growing southwest for their salvation, the glory of God, and the good of the community? We have the gospel. We know it. We are taught it. We say we believe it, but are we convinced of its truth? Are we so sure that it is the way of salvation? And that the conviction and joy in our voices and in our faces shines through to other people when we share what we believe? Are we ready to share our holiday experiences as readily with other people as we are to share our relationship with God? Everybody heard about this new community which had come into being in Thessalonica. They'd heard about its bold rejection of idolatry. They heard about its joy in the midst of opposition. They heard about its transformed values, its faith and its love. People were so impressed by what they heard that many must have come to see for themselves. And they were convinced not just by what they heard but by what they saw with their eyes. We need to look like what we are talking about. It's not enough to receive the gospel and pass it on. We have to embody it in our common life of faith, joy, love and hope. So I pray too that we, like the Thessalonian church, that we have a reputation for being faithful, adventurous, compassionate and enduring disciples of Jesus. That we are a people who are passionately committed to seeing Jesus come to every home in Orange Park and the growing Southwest. Would you pray with me? Gracious Lord, we thank you for this example of the Thessalonian church so long ago. Lord, it is so relevant to us today, and we pray that you would convict us of the power of the gospel. Lord, we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the joy you've given us. And we pray that we may be bold in sharing what you have given so freely and generously to us. Lord, we pray for our community. We pray for people to hear the word and to receive the gospel for themselves. We ask this as our hope for next year. In Jesus' name. Amen.